As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details program are not necessarily the views of this station management or staff since individual situations can and will be different please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests success is equated with excess the ambition for excess wrecks us as the top of the mind becomes the bottom line where success is equated with excess this is money talks with capstone wealth management bringing life back into balance with a more thoughtful approach to wealth management now from capstone wealth management here's chris klein on the big 1070 1070 a.m and 100.9 fm welcome in i am mike pilch along with of course chris klein taking you through the week that was the world of finance and give the best advice there is for investors And, of course, with what's going on this week, there's a whole lot to get to. Capstone Wealth Management, a private, fee-only financial planning and investment management service. You need a financial plan, they'll build it. Then they'll help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. Now, to get in contact with them, you can call them at 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or email them, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. Com. Check them out on Twitter, Care for My Wealth. Chris, welcome into your own, your own program. Good morning. How are you today? Not bad. You got the snowboard ready? The, I haven't. No, uh, it's, things have been a little bit busy. <laughs> busy, huh? Yeah, I guess your business has been a little busy. Well, let's get to it because there's a lot to get on with. Now, Wall Street ended the week with steep losses. The Dow saw its gains for the year wiped out. It lost more than 500 points just on Friday. A lot of rumors about the tariff issues between the U.S. and China. But I think on Friday, the Dow was down about 559 points, lost about 2%. NASDAQ and uh, S&P had a steep drop. I think the NASDAQ lost 3% on Friday. And it's just the way things trended. But um, obviously, that's going to bring up a lot of discussion points for somebody like you who kind of breaks things down, but we're obviously not in a good trading environment here, are we? Well, trading, well, you know, good question. I mean, some people who like to trade, um, 
you know, need volatility to be able to, uh, you know, to trade in and out of the stuff that they want or, or are looking to get. You know, at the end of the day, most people don't care too much for volatility unless it's upside volatility. Sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and we had some upside volatility over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, on the heels of the Fed uh, a couple of weeks ago, having used the term neutral, which everybody took as, uh, as, as basically their code for saying, hey, look, we're probably not going to raise rates a whole lot from here. Mm-hmm. Um, that excited the market. And then, you know, and then we had this, this whole uh, pervasive expectation of trade somehow falling apart with a tweet this past week. I, you know, I, Who knows? I it on, could be. I don't know. Who knows anymore? Well, I, you know, look, I, I, the, the stuff that goes on in markets today is, is insane. I, you know, and, and the volatility that goes on on a day-by-day basis is, um, you know, unnerving to say the least. But Is it just me or yeah. is uh, critical thinking out the window now? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, would, I would suggest that at least one of the things I've always attempted to do as a dad with my two sons who are wonderful thinkers is to teach them how to be critical thinkers. Yeah, to not exactly. Be, to, to not be afraid to be critical of what people are saying and in many cases doing um, you know, around them. And, and so to answer your question, is that out the window? It might be. I think machines are affecting um, markets to a degree that is probably more than what most would have expected. Um, you know, it, at, at the end of the day, when, you know, for example, when you take a look at this past week, um, Monday was, you know, a, a fine day, and then Tuesday got pounded. Um, Tuesday was the, the real hard sell-off before President Bush's funeral where markets were closed, which I thought was a good thing because, you know, hey, everybody needed to take a step back and, yeah. you know, have a stiff drink or something. Right. Um, I sent an email out on Monday, or excuse me, on Tuesday night, uh, only to our clients, and and commented on a couple of things. You know, I, and I and one of the things that I commented on was that for me, it was it was hard to accept that the market had dropped that day solely because of a of a trade related issue and a tweet. I mean, were we to believe that everyone just changed their minds about trade in one day? Like it or not, most institutions are not massive traders off of tweets. I would think not, but I mean, the way the world's going today and with the way people just jump to conclusions in the moment as they happen without taking everything that's occurred into consideration, that critical thinking component, it wouldn't surprise me if that affected people. Yeah, it, it could. You know, and, and one of the things that I also commented on in that email was if, if okay, if, let's assume for a moment that this was trade-related, right? Mm-hmm. Who has more to lose in a, an all-out trade war as it relates to between us and China? Well, I would say China well, would. They do, absolutely. I think any thinking person who looks at the size of both of our economies and, 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 and consider the amount of, of, of productivity that, that can go on... I. I don't think it's a hard argument to look at and say, yeah, China has more to lose. Okay, well, let's presume that that's true. If that's true and China has more to lose without a trade deal than we do, then, well, let's take a look at their stock market. There's an an ETF that you can follow. It's symbol FXI. It's the China 25 ETF. It's kind of a 
kind of a proxy on the Chinese stock market, right? Mm-hmm. That particular ETF is off like two and a half, three percent from the first of October. But the S&P 500 is off like 10% during the same time. Well, okay, those numbers and the news of a trade-related sell-off, that doesn't compute to me. Wouldn't you think that if China has more to lose, that right in the heart of what it appears to be a breaking-down conversation of trade, because that's what everybody's blaming it on, wouldn't you think that the Chinese market would be getting whacked even harder? Well, yeah, you would, sure. Well, that's what I thought, you know, and so I looked at that and I said, I just, I'm just not sure I accept the argument, you know, again, just being critical, I'm not sure I accept the argument that what we're seeing is necessarily due to anything as it relates, at least this past week, to China and its trade. Now, is there a possible component of it? Sure. I mean, right now, I think that if we take a look at investors and how both institutions and individual investors are responding. The issue of the Fed running afoul of not causing a recession, right? I mean, I think that's probably still the number one element, right? Sure it is, yeah. I buy that. And, 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 and oh, by the way, everybody looked at the, everybody looked at the, um, the, the yield curve. You know, and again, for anyone tuning in for the very first time who has never heard yield curve, it's just simply a graphical depiction of interest rates that goes on from one month to 30 years of U.S. Treasuries and U.S. notes. Okay. Um, by the way, I don't know if you saw the. Uh, uh, I don't know if you, somebody threw a chart around somewhere and it showed the amount of Google uh, searches for yield curve in the past year. Really? It's like, yeah. It's actually a funny chart. Because it's, it's just going along like this little barely pumping heartbeat, and then all of a sudden, kaboom, it goes through the roof. And I, I thought, didn't well, see that. Interesting. <laughs> but at any rate. A lot of people probably it, didn't know what it was or had never heard of it till the last month or two. Probably. Yeah. You know, and, and that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but at any rate, this past week, we actually had a very uh, small yield curve inversion on the two-year, five-year, right? Well, okay, fine. So what is the two-year, five-year? Well, that just means that the five-year interest rate it went below the two-year interest rate. So there's a very small yield curve inversion on the short end of the curve. That's not as valuable in terms of identifying the possibility of a recession as a two-year, ten-year inversion. And while we're flat, we're not inverted. So then the next question becomes, okay, have we ever had a two-year, five-year, or a three-year, five-year inversion in the past? And the answer is yes. We've had it happen a few times. And so what I did is I sent out another um, another email that just showed a graphical depiction of what has happened to stock markets after we've had one of these two-year, five-year, or three-year, five-year inversions. And it's taken, on average, about two years for the market to actually peak after having had a two-year or three-year um, to five-year inversion. So what that told me was that, again, most of the stuff that we're seeing happening right now is a, is a, a, a I don't know what you want to call it, it's a typical hissy fed. Mm. This is your basic 10% correction with a 10% test. And now what we're getting is simply a retest uh, of, of, at this point, the November low. Mm-hmm. You might remember the stock market fell apart. It hit a bottom on October 29th. And 
we talked about how the effect of that was was very quick. Um, there's certainly some technical damage that took place at that point, but because of the way in which markets were acting at that time, I said, I don't know that I'd be surprised to see a reaction rally. Well, we got one. And then we got a retest, right, or a test of that low. Came down, basically undercut those levels on the NASDAQ uh, on November the 20th. And, again, commented on the fact that it just looks like this might be the washout kind of thing that you would hope to see, and we got another relief rally. Some of it was on the heels of, again, the Fed using the word neutral. Some of it was on the heels of a couple of companies announcing some interesting things and some a couple of companies announcing some decent earnings numbers, too, which, mm. by the way, still look good. And, uh, and so now what are you getting? You're getting a retest of that most recent test that's forming what we would call a triple bottom, right? And so just to recap, there's basically three things that we think are are happening inside investors' minds. The expectation or the belief that the Fed could be running afoul of their goal of not causing recession to the uncertainty of what the impact of, of any kind of a tariff that does exist at this point and trade uh, as it relates to U.S. companies. And then three, slowdown in the global economy. Well, first of all, I don't think that there's a legitimate reason to worry about number three, you know, just in terms of a slowdown of the global economy. Frankly, things really do look fine. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about earnings in just a second. But in terms of the impact of number two, because trade was on everybody's mind, as I mentioned, at the beginning of the week, uh, or, or this show as it relates to the beginning of the week, and and everybody was all astir with regards to the CFO of that Chinese company that has been arrested in Canada, potentially throwing a monkey wrench in, in negotiations that, that are going on between the U.S. and China, and da-da-da-da-da, right? So the impact, um, you know, as it relates to, to number two, obviously, the tariffs and, and trade on, on U.S. companies, is, is, at least based on our estimation, in fact, having some disruption of supply lines. And that can be a big deal. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay the fact that, that having tariffs and trade between the two largest economies on the planet uh, in a tizzy is not potentially a factor for disruption in markets. But at the end of the day, the number one concern is, without a doubt, the Fed and what they are or are not doing. Mm-hmm. If they're raising rates too fast, then we're back into potentially recession mode maybe late next year, maybe 2020. It's hard to say. Obviously, if they invert the yield curve on the long end, the two-year, 10-year, that's a serious problem. And anyone who's in the game will recognize that as a problem and will likely see issues. But, you know, monetary policy, ordinarily, as it relates to the Fed implementing rate change, has typically a one- to two-year lag time, right? In terms of earnings, because I mentioned I was going to comment on that a moment ago, right? In terms of how earnings are being viewed, I believe it is, in fact, no doubt that we have seen peak earnings growth. Now, there's a difference between peak earnings and peak earnings growth. We've probably seen peak earnings growth, at least for the immediate future, but we have not seen peak earnings. Corporate earnings growth is probably going to come down over the next year, maybe year to year and a half. Well, how much? 5%, maybe 10%, mm-hmm. right? Maybe even a little bit lower in 2019. But that's simply because of the higher growth that was experienced this year. 
the analysts are not going to have the same expectation of percentage upside growth coming off of such strong movements over the last year and a half to two years, right? <clears throat> this year's higher growth is just not reflected in the stock market, which I think gives a tremendous amount of stock price growth for 2019. Okay. Some sectors, some of the sectors that have just really been pummeled this year, we think are going to be ripe for a lot, some much higher prices. What? Semiconductors, energy, some companies that have global reach, right? Industrials, for example. So, so you know, when you take a look at all that has gone on in this past week, it is still simply looking like your basic 10% correction with a 10% retest. The problem that's happening with these corrections and retests these days is that they happen so fast. Yeah. You get this boom in this bust environment, and it causes everyone to completely lose their minds because it's on every financial show, every TV station, every radio station. It's the lead that comes out in the newspaper, top of the fold, front page. It's the lead of almost every show's story, radio or TV, that is. You can't help but see it or talk about it. And so people have a natural tendency to look at this, and then the recency effect takes over. Holy goodness, I've lost... 5%, 10%, 20%, 5%, 10%, 20%, whatever the number is. And they think, I can never recover. Well, that's that's rubbish. The recency effect is a more and more powerful instrument as society goes on here with the short yeah, well, attention spans we have and all that. You know, and it's getting worse. Yep. Social media and all of the things internet-related have dramatically affected yep. the way people view the world, and they it has dramatically affected their patience. And it's terrible because you know what it does? It makes the average rational thinking person a terrible investor. They automatically think that just because they've experienced a 5, 10, 15, 20% correction, that that's going to keep going on until they're out of money. Mm-hmm. Well, that's senseless. That's rubbish. That's absolute garbage. But you can't help but think that because why? It's pounded down your throat on a daily basis by all media outlets, no matter where you turn. And the short attention spans give you pause to hear nothing but, you know, markets lost 600 points today. Well, okay, 600 points. What is that? On the Dow? A couple of percentage points. All right, fine, whatever. Dow lost 1,200 points. Okay, fine. It lost 1,200 points. But what does it mean in the grand scope of things? Are we looking at this on, on a trading aspect? Where's the trend? If you take a look at the NASDAQ and you look at it out over a long-term basis, right? And I mean long-term going all the way back to when this original bull market started back in 2009. Literally, we are only a couple of percentage points above that long-term trend. Well, if you're a trend follower and you believe that the trend is your friend, and last time I checked, if you're getting near that long-term trend line, while you have 10-year interest rates at roughly 2.8%, 2.9%, with a 15-point multiple on the market, that's pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a compelling reason to be a buyer. No and question. I'll tell you this. There are way, way, way more fundamental analysts that exist in markets today, the big boys, the guys that are buying businesses, who happen to be publicly traded so that they can share in their earnings on an ongoing basis. There are way more people that look at what that business is doing in terms of turning out those earnings on a day-by-day basis and what that company is worth, not in terms of price, 
But in terms of what it's generating for the company and its shareholders, then there are people looking at little squiggly lines on a computer <laughs> saying, I should buy or sell. Right, right. That's not how to be a great long-term investor. The way to be a great long-term investor is to pay attention to the value of what is going on in the market. Now, can the Fed affect that market? Yeah, they absolutely can. And if they get monetary policy wrong, they're going to negatively affect the value of several companies. But they've not gotten monetary policy wrong yet. (laughs) Mike, you might remember going all the way back to a year ago. I said on this show, the biggest risk for derailing this bull market is nothing more than the Federal Reserve creating a policy error. And I'll never forget you asking me, well, what do you mean by policy error? Mm -hmm. I said, raising rates too far too fast while they're unwinding their balance sheet. They're continuing to unwind their balance sheet, and they've been raising rates, but they still have not, at least yet, gone too far too fast. And they have the ability to simply adjust this by using a couple of different words. We saw one two weeks ago when they said neutral. Market exploded. Because why? The expectation that they would slow down the rate increases. All right, I tell you what. Well, Well, go ahead and finish that thought then. No, that's okay. Let's take a break, and I'll come back at it when we when we hit the ground running again. Yeah, I got something to bring up about credit card bills that was in the news as well. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886 to get in contact with them or info at careformywealth.com. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management on the Big 1070, 1070 AM and 100.9 FM. With Chris Klein, I am Mike Pilch. 866-596-9886 is the phone number to get in contact uh, contact with them at any time. Also, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. So, Chris, the next thing the Fed can kind of do or say to see the market really shift here. Yeah, hey, before I give you that answer, I love the fact that people might have to listen to this show if they want to hear, baby, it's cold outside. (laughs) Oh, this is the only place they can find it? The only place that you can find it anymore, apparently. So I love the irreverence of the fact that we're going to play that. (laughs) You called for it, so. (laughs) Absolutely. Between now and Christmas, we're just going to keep playing it as much as we can. So, you know what? The the degree of negativity that, that is crossing the news wires also is is something that i i find funny and and you know so the the you just typically don't often see piles and piles and piles of negative news articles at a market top right it's the opposite true <clears throat> right and so i you, people need to keep that in mind as we go through this but to answer your question the other thing that the fed could do or say you know as it relates to um minimizing some of the impact of what's going on uh, in global markets is, is simply just to say, you know, we're going to slow down. Or perhaps, um, you know, monetary policy is at a crossroads. And, in fact, one of the Fed uh, voting governors actually said that. He actually said we are at a crossroads in monetary policy. And, you know, the, the perception of that was that, hey, look, inflation's pretty well contained. Um, doesn't appear to be piles of things that... Um, you know, are getting out of control. Certainly with the jobs number yesterday, uh, wages looked good. They were up. That puts pressure on companies, um, you know, to be sure, but it certainly creates uh, an avenue of, of 
uh, spending and investing capability for the consumer that uh, that maybe they haven't seen in some time. All right. When you um, said the jobs report, were you relating to the November report or? Yeah. Yeah. So the the, the numbers that just came out. Oh, what was it? Yesterday morning. Yeah. I think at, uh, you know, eight thirty, and um, you know, you start to look at some of the you know some of the the wage gains and and the wage growth that um, you know that that uh, that workers are experiencing. It's it's not of it's not growing at a rate that we would look at and say, oh, good grief, that's like that's going to put companies like out of business. They're not going to be able to keep up. They can't sustain, uh, you know, employment numbers that are going up that much. They they're not going to be able to keep the best employees because they're just going to go to a different job. Well, you know, hey, that happens all the time. Yeah, I want to read something to you, though. I want to get your reaction because you talk about negative. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. News articles. Now, this was a story that came along the, uh, the Newswire services yesterday, okay? This is yeah. how it was worded. The November jobs report is out, and it's short of expectations. The economy added 155,000 jobs last month. Analysts were expecting around 198,000. The jobless rate held steady at 3.7%. Yeah, that you know what? That doesn't tell me a whole lot, and it certainly isn't enough for markets to get crazy about. In fact, when I hear that, if I think like a Fed person would be thinking, I'd be saying, oh, well, good news. Job growth is slowing down just a little bit. Well, if it's slowing down a little bit, we should probably slow down our, our interest rate movements, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, did, they didn't hit the jobs number that they wanted. But buried in all of that was the information regarding pay hikes. And American workers are essentially seeing the biggest pay hike since 2009. And, and, and when compared with, um, with core inflation, I mean, it's, Wage growth is outpacing core inflation by the most in, like, nine years, right? So that can be viewed in a couple of different ways, depending upon, you know, your stance at the Fed. You can look at that and say, man, that's getting out of control. Wage growth is really, really starting to kick up. Um, we got to slow that down. And so the, that type of an expectation would be that the Fed continues to raise rates to, to dampen mm-hmm. the effect of it. The other argument to that is, yeah, but look at all the money that the consumers have. Well, okay, that's a fair statement, too. Um, you know, it, it, the bottom line is that we're starting to get some uh, warning signs, I guess if that's what you want to call it, from the yield curve that the Fed's going too far, right? If that's not the case, if that were not true, we would not have had a two-year, five-year, three-year, five-year inversion, <laughs> 
the, the yield curve would not invert on any portion of the yield curve if, in fact, market participants felt really confident about the health of the economy. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, with all the data we have available to us, and granted, it can change, and it can change fairly quickly, but with all of the data that we have available to us right now, we just see no evidence of an impending economic recession. We certainly have some concerns about housing and autos, but why? Because they're, they're inextricably linked to interest rates. Most people, when they buy a house, and most people, when they buy a car, finance it. Yes. Basically, everybody does. So if that's true, to one degree or another, then obviously sales would be expected to slow down at least a little bit if the interest rates or the financing costs are driving people out of certain buying opportunities. All right, fine. The Fed knows this. They recognize that that is also an impactful thing as it relates to the, the the health of the economy. So we do have some concerns as it relates to housing and as it relates to auto. Yeah. At the same time, we don't have, I believe, a legitimate argument for a real blown-out bear market anytime soon. The problem, Mike, is that so many people have been have well been spoiled. I don't know what you want to call it. Just accustomed to not having the kind of volatility that we've experienced this year that they've forgotten what yeah. it's like because of that short-term memory. That scenario. recency effect, yeah, exactly. You know, we've gone through two severe corrections already just this year, right? I think that's actually going to lead to less volatility next year. Remember, the lack of volatility creates an environment where you end up with more volatility. Lots of volatility creates an environment where you end up with less volatility, it's the odd paradox of the reality of markets. So, so investors have to recognize that sometimes you're handed one of these sandwiches that doesn't taste real good, mm. but it's not going to kill you. It's not going to derail okay. your entire life. It just doesn't taste good. I don't know. If I randomly had anchovies on a sandwich, I might think it's going to derail my entire life in the moment. You think it would kill you? I, I, it might. I can see how, how that fear would come over you in the moment, though. Well, I'm sure that this, to many, tastes like an anchovy and mustard sandwich or uh, an anchovy and, you know, mayo oh sandwich. Which is All right, you're going to make me throw yeah. up on the spot. There's people eating breakfast. Yeah, that's no good. There's people eating breakfast right now. <laughs> you think I'd be a little more sensitive, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, there is no doubt that just simply based on what you see happening in markets on a day-by-day basis is that investors are confused, they're uncertain, and who can blame them? I mean, on one day, you get information that would suggest to you, oh, hallelujah, everybody loves one another in government and the Fed, and the Fed likes to use the word neutral, which means, hey, they're not going to raise rates, and boom, markets go up 2%. Next day, somebody says that there's some derailment of some trade thing from the middle of nowhere, and it came across a wire in a tweet. Boom, markets go down 2%. And then you get some news the next day that has something positive, and boom, markets are up 2%. And then down another three, and then you just get this constant tug and pull. I say, you know, it's like having named your dog stay. You don't know if you're coming or going. What am I doing? That's not a good investment plan. You have to have an investment plan to help you get through these times of volatility, and there are times where you end up with one of those sandwiches that doesn't taste real good, and we're just going through that time. You know, 
When's the last time someone can name a year that we've had two serious corrections in just one year? Not a bear market, but corrections. Yeah, good question. Most people would ask that question. They're not going to be able to answer it. But as I said at the beginning of this show, when we start to look at some of the things that are happening underneath the market, right, underneath the hood, so to speak, this very much looks and feels like a triple bottom, which is exactly what we experienced at the beginning of the year with the first correction, right? That's what it feels like right now. And, and when you take a look at some of the volume numbers, the, the, you know, when I say volume, I mean the amount of shares traded in the open market. The first movement down was the biggest volume move, and that was people just getting very fearful and wanting to essentially say, I'm done, get me out no matter what. And then volume rose up again as markets rallied and then rose up again as it fell apart, but it wasn't as high as the first down move. And so now, same sort of thing, volume has fallen off yet a little bit more. And so what is that telling us? Well, it's telling us that we're getting two things. One, we had a rash of sellers say, I just want out, I don't care. I'm abandoning my investment plan, and that's it. Well, that's never a great idea. No. I mean, last time I checked, you get hurt on a roller coaster when you jump off. Uh, okay, there's lots of people that were jumping off in those environments. But then volume numbers settled down, and now the last three days we've had volume numbers really spike again. So what does that say? That's the panic element, yeah. right? That When you start to see price movements like what we've just experienced over the last three days in markets, right, from Tuesday, markets are closed Wednesday, um, to Thursday and Friday, and then you add on to that the, the volume numbers, you can't help but look at it as a panic, right? I mean... You know, typically when you start to look at how markets act and respond, you get prices initially begin to weaken. Investor psychology starts to shift from complacency to concern. Well, I think that's very easily viewed by what we saw from October 1st to October 11th. Then after that, it results in some increased selling and an acceleration of that decline, which is exactly what happened from October the 17th to the 29th, right? And then as prices drop more quickly, and the news becomes even more negative, the psychology just, again, starts to shift from that concern level to fear, mm -hmm. which is what brought us into the bottom of that market from November 8th to the 20th. But then sooner or later, that fear that lots of people have had out there easily turns to panic, and that's when prices get driven sharply lower, and investors just simply strive to get out of the market at any price. That is exactly what you saw when, or on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. But you got to remember, every time there's a seller, there's a buyer. Well, who's buying? I would, I would submit that the institutions are picking up a number of these companies at valuations that have just simply started to get, well, silly. You know, I, there are a number of companies that, that people know and love and probably use on a on a day by day basis that are ridiculously priced. Apple is trading at fourteen times earnings. Now this is a technology wow. company for crying out loud. They made fifty six, what, sixty billion dollars in the previous quarter or whatever the number was. Google. Yeah, they probably make that much in an hour, but yeah. Well, 
Probably, you know. I mean, Google, even as high-flying of a technology company as they are, are only trading at 39 times earnings. Facebook is trading at 20 times earnings, right? Mm. <clears throat> the companies that are still really highly priced because they're just expecting so much growth are companies like Netflix, yeah. and companies like Amazon. You know, these guys are still really high. What's, but don't YouTube, you remember? Like? What's YouTube like? Well, YouTube's owned by Facebook. I, so, you know what? I didn't know that. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah Zuckerberg came in and uh, said, hey, there's going to be a lot of great opportunities for us to you know, pile into that Jeez. one. And he's probably right. But then you start looking at some of these you know, old-line companies that are in the game today. And, and some of them, interestingly enough, would you, believe, would you think that an old-line company like 3M is priced more expensively in terms of value than Apple? Uh, no, no. Well, it is. So if we know that more often than not, technology is, in fact, the sectors that continue to lead bull markets, then for me, if I'm looking at fundamentals, I want to invest in the less expensive areas of the market. And certainly there are pockets of markets as it relates to technology that are cheaper than old line industrial companies. That's not to insane. That not to suggest that online industrial companies don't have their their opportunities, mm -hmm. um, you know, about them because they they certainly do, but they're they're I think I would argue a little bit higher priced than what you know they should be. Um, all right, all right. Coca let's... Coca Cola. Let me give you this one. Coca Cola is priced in their trailing twelve month PE ratio at seventy five. Now think about that for just a minute, especially when you compare it to a company like Amazon who's trading at 91 times earnings. You mean yeah. to tell me that Coca-Cola is trading at almost two-thirds of the value of Amazon? I mean, that seems ridiculous that that would be that way. So are there pockets of the economy and are there pockets of the stock market that are expensive and are due for corrections? Absolutely. But does that suggest that the entire market is going to be taken down the tubes? No. I don't see that at this point. So and when we come back from our little break, I'm going to comment on a couple of things that I've said over the past five, six weeks as it relates to where we are right now and, and what we anticipated and how this is probably going to play out. Okay. We'll get back to that and a little bit more in a moment to get in contact with Chris Klein. Capstone Wealth Management, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can send them an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management, bringing life back into balance with a more thoughtful approach to wealth management on the Big 1070, 1070 AM and 100.9 FM. With Mike, with uh, Chris Klein, I am Mike Pilch. To get in contact with Capstone Wealth Management, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or send them an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. I want to throw this little number at you here, Chris. This, was, oh. this came across the newswire this week. More people are delinquent on their credit card bills. Credit card companies are also rejecting more applicants, both signs that could signal economic trouble ahead. A report from the Federal Reserve shows nearly 21% of credit card applications are being turned away, up from 14% a year ago. 
Well, I don't have the data in front of me, but what that story should have done was continue on with what the reduction in outstanding credit has been for the American family. And it's tremendous. The American family is very well healed in terms of putting their credit in order. It's not anything like what we experienced back in 2008 where credit was rampant and people were rampant with it, Mm -hmm. right? So are there certainly areas where people are perhaps defaulting on it? Yeah, I suppose they are. Um, You know, the story says it. Uh, I'd have to spend some time digging out the details and the data of the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of the fact that credit has been, you know, very well contained um, over that time. And, you know, that brings up, I think, a bigger point. And, you know, we did, I think I commented on, on uh, last week's show, just to remember that we did a series of seven or eight shows on mm-hmm. non-financial corporate debt. Mm-hmm. And that corporate debt that it potentially could very easily get out of control if interest rates, <laughs> this is where Fed monetary policy comes in, goes up too far too fast. And all of a sudden, corporations' debt servicing capacity gets hindered, and then that's where they start to uh, slow down productivity because they got to start moving expenses away, and labor's a big expense. And so then it's this self-fulfilling scenario where unemployment starts going up, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> could that happen? I suppose anything is possible. Um, there's nothing on the wires that would suggest that is, is, is the case right now. The Fed certainly has enough time and enough room to be able to, to, to minimize the impact of that. Um, you know, they, they certainly could slow down, if not all out stop, the degree of interest rate hikes that they're getting. And all it would take is, is one simple action. And then for, for them to say, you know what, we've reviewed the data, we've told you we've been data dependent, and we believe that the economy is slowing sufficiently that we can reduce or stop our interest rates. The market would skyrocket on that. They absolutely, it absolutely would. <clears throat> there are tons, I was commenting before the, um, before the break there, that there are tons of pockets of, of, of um, inexpensive industries, and there's tons of expensive industries. The oil industry, the energy industry, mm-hmm. is incredibly cheap right now, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to give you a couple of quick examples. Please know if you're listening, these are not recommendations to buy these companies. They're not recommendations to sell these companies. It's simply giving you an example of value compared to other companies that are trading at multiples that would be deemed almost ridiculous. All right. But for example, I think most everybody has heard of a company by the name of ExxonMobil. Yep. Exxon's trading at 14 times earnings. Pretty inexpensive. But let's make it even cheaper. How about a company by the name of, of Marathon Petroleum Company? Mm-hmm. Right? Again, a pretty standard household name. It's trading at seven and a half times earnings. Right? How about a company like, uh, let's say, maybe, um, how about Chevron? I think most people have heard of Chevron mm-hmm. before. Chevron's trading at 15 times earnings. Now, again, compare these to, like, Coca-Cola trading at the numbers that I gave you earlier. Terrible. Valero Energy, another company, trading at seven times earnings. So what does that mean? That means that it's it's abundantly clear that the value in the market is in certain areas, some technology, energy, some industrials. Not all, right? 
Well, where's the big money going to rotate to? They're going to rotate to the stuff that's cheap because at the end of the day, that's what big money does. It finds the cheap elements of the market and then it, it invests in them until they're not cheap anymore. That's kind of where we're yeah. at. We're at this environment right now where we're seeing a rotation in markets. We're seeing a rotation of elements that are causing the average person pain because why? Because most people are invested exactly looking like an index. People are invested either in a passive index or they're invested in a mutual fund of one kind or another that looks just like a passive index. Mm -hmm. And what have the passive indexes done over the past several years? They've invested in the high-flying companies that are all going through a correction right now. <laughs> so, so, of course, they're feeling that pain because... You know, when everybody starts to invest that looks exactly the same, well, then there's going to be a problem. So you have to find these pockets, and sometimes you have to, well, you have to eat a sandwich you don't like to go through the rotation. Sometimes you're early when you approach a market. We've been guilty of that. We've been guilty of identifying companies and platforms and sectors that are cheap. And we said, we need to take advantage of this inexpensive environment right now. And so you do, and then you're early to the game. Well, guess what? Last time I checked, nobody can pick a top or a bottom. And we're not attempting to. We're just attempting to be close. And when I talk about close, this environment that we're seeing right now is the vicinity of the bottom. We've written about it again and again and again. I've talked about it on this show. This is the vicinity of the bottom. Is it the bottom? Hard to say. Yeah, But it's the vicinity of the bottom. There's just too much evidence that's piled up to suggest this is the vicinity of the bottom. Now, one other thing I said about six to eight weeks ago, and I'd have to go back and listen to the shows to pick out the exact, uh, the exact date and the exact time within the show I said it. But getting towards the end of the program, I said, look, there's enough evidence suggesting that we could be in for a little bit of volatility. Mm -hmm. Now, did I anticipate this kind of volatility? No. <laughs> I don't know that anybody anticipated this kind of volatility. But I remember very clearly saying, look, we could be in for some volatility over the next several weeks. If you happen to be someone right around the corner of retirement, you may want to take a little cover. You may mm -hmm. want to use a little bit of your stable value fund. You may want to, you know, use some, some bond fund stuff, whatever the case might be. If you're a long-term investor, I wouldn't worry about it too much at this point because anything that we get at this juncture is suggestive of a correction and nothing more. And still, what we've gotten is your basic run-of-the-mill 10% correction, 10% test, retest. That's where we're at. But as I said... If you're around the corner from needing a pile of that money, if you're at that stage of retirement where you're then going to have to do some things with your money, taking a little bit of cover isn't the worst thing in the world to do. Never is, no. And All I right. say that only because when people get close to retirement, they typically take their 401k and they roll it over into something else. Well, all right, fine. If you're going to do that, if you're going to make a decision on doing that, then having a little bit of cover is a good idea, number one. But number two... 401ks are notoriously, well, at least for most people, restrictive. Mm -hmm. in, that, in other words, they have a very limited universe of funds from which they can choose, number one. And number two, oftentimes if they trade out of a fund, they can't trade back into it for maybe 30 days. Mm -hmm. So 
there's restrictions that are just inherent in those plans that oftentimes are not consistent with a soon-to-be-retirees goals and objectives, which is why I made that comment. Right? Yeah. All right. I tell you what, we'll come back with some final comments from Chris Clyde on the other side. 866-596-9886 is the phone number, 866-596-9886, or email them info at Care for My Wealth. All right, Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management with Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. And, Chris, your parting thoughts for the week. Well, my parting thoughts um, simply is that the number one issue, hurdle, objective, whatever you call it right now, um, well, I guess there's two, but the main one is still the Fed. You know, the Fed controls all the cards and all the strings as it relates to um, our economy and its health or its potential uh, deterioration. Um, trade, you know, trade's the sort of stuff that's going to get itself worked out. It just will. It, it always does. And I don't anticipate that either we in America um, or China has the stomach for a, a real flat-out, knock-down, drag-out trade war. You know, and, and I'm not suggesting that we're not experiencing some of the effects of any trade war right now. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, there's, it certainly could get much, 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 much worse if, in fact, they don't come to a deal. <clears throat> and the deal is, I think, to some degree being hammered out as we speak. I, I just feel that China has more to lose and their stock market. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.